This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit CanDoWealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Max Jeffrey, and I'm joined by James Heal and Isabel Hardman. Rishi Sunak gave a speech in London today in front of MPs, outlining his plan to turn the country around. Isabel, what did he have to say? So he set out five immediate priorities of the people, and they are to halve inflation this year, to grow the economy, to have national debt falling, NHS waiting lists will fall and people will get the care they need more quickly, and new laws to stop small boats. He also had a passage where he talked about the importance of the family and how that was something that underpinned him as a politician and his government and how politicians shouldn't be afraid to talk about the importance of the family. I think a bit like immigration, I have to say, it's one of those things that politicians never seem that afraid to talk about. Um, They just like to to make it sound like they're being really daring by mentioning their wives. He then also said that um, he wants the British public to judge him on whether he delivers on those priorities, um, which, again, is hardly unusual given he's a politician who uh, has to go through a general election every five or so years, and there's one coming up soon. I think some of the priorities that he set out I mean, the Bank of England's forecast would suggest that he may well get uh, his first target on inflation without having to to do anything specific that's new this year. Anyway, some of the other ones are actually quite difficult. I mean, is he going to grow the economy? Economy is currently contracting. Will NHS waiting lists fall when actually internal forecasts that the NHS have suggest they're going to get even bigger? and burst even more, um, uh, break the record uh, once again. And on stopping small boats, he's at one stage in the speech said that stopping small boats was his priority. In another bit of it, he said new laws to stop small boats. Now, that's actually quite different because you can pass new laws and you can commit to saying that and you say, ah, we fulfilled our commitment to pass a new law, but whether or not it's going to make any difference to the to the actual number of boats or number of people coming across the channel in small boats is a completely different matter and um, I suspect that come the end of the year we will have much greater clarity on uh, the fact that this was about targeting new laws rather than stopping boats full stop. As we've learned from Priti Patel and Suella Braverman you can promise all you like to stop these boats but there's very little evidence that anyone has any idea of how to actually do it. James, in the Q&A section after the speech, the BBC's Chris Mason asked, is that it? Do you think Rishi Sunak's pledges are ambitious? How have they been received? Well, I think, first of all, it's worth noting that Rishi Sunak, I think, did a lot better in the Q&A section than the uh, speech. I think he's very good at detail. I think the people who've worked with him say that he's very good. Um, it's very difficult to get ev- anything over him on the detail of the speech. You know, his microeconomic focus is fantastic and he knows sort of policy and you could hear this in the discussions he was having so talking about things like pointing out that the RCN for instance actually wanted to have independent pay review bodies in the 80s which is why we've got the system now to do with their nurses strike so he's very good at that. I think that he needs to give this speech because he's been in Downing Street now for 
for two, three months or so. And I think sort of Tory MPs have been accepting the argument that, okay, we need to have this period of reflection after the chaos of the last days of Boris Johnson, the interregnum of Liz Truss, we to sort of kind of, you know, take a deep breath and restore basic management, basic economic competence, stop fussing about the guilt market. Now comes what's next. And Rishi Sunak does have, you know, 18 to months to two years in, left in power. What's he actually going to be able to achieve in that time? And I think what you saw a little bit fleshed out in the questions was, um, you know, how is he actually going to measure the metrics? How he, when they actually got to the discussions about it, you know, he said that he deliberately not put a specific month on uh, each of these pledges. And that's because things like small votes, etc. I mean, nobody thinks that when he said about stopping them, he's going to be able to get them down to zero. Uh, this is a huge issue, which has only been growing in the last three, four years or so. So I think it was, I think it was, I think it was, did enough for today. But I think that people will be more pressure in coming days to kind of flesh out that agenda, what it really means. I think certain bits fell short as Isabel says I wasn't sure what the all you need is love bit was about and I also would be interested to see what Keir Starmer says tomorrow because he's doing a big speech so I think there's been some sort of joshing on both sides that uh, they're playing chicken with each other and seeing the two leaders come together and uh, give rival speeches for Britain. Isabel these all seem like quite long-term goals what can the Prime Minister do and his government do in the meantime to show the public that they have things like the NHS and and strikes for instance under control is there anything? Yeah so he did announce a number of uh, things that he wants to do uh, on the NHS, including uh, this focus on pharmacies being able to prescribe more, um, something that I live in Scotland and it, it does work very well up here, actually, I have to say. Um, and um, so there are things that, that he's sort of trying to fix in, in the short term for the NHS. But both he and Keir Starmer are starting to you know, beat the election drum now. Politicians always give New Year speeches, so so the idea that Rishi Sunak was suddenly sort of randomly inspired by Keir Starmer to to give one is a bit daft, really. But um, but they are now moving into talking about what their election priorities are going to be, and I think a, a theme we're going to have that we saw in the Q and A today was why on earth should people trust you? Uh, how are you different from all the others? Uh, you heard that from a number of different journalists. And I suspect that that's something that Keir Starmer will labour quite heavily in his speech tomorrow. The idea that, you know, d- d- the Conservatives are asking for more time to, you know, to do what? To make more of a mess? So that's going to be one of the the sort of um, uh, the to and fro's over the coming few months. It is going to be really hard, though, on the NHS if the government continues to claim that there's not a crisis and you could say well you know it's just a word it's just a word but words do matter because they then tend to set the tone of the government's response and uh, the uh, level of attention that the prime minister and other senior ministers give something and at the moment Sunak is is insisting you know there's, there's a lot of pressure on the NHS but there's not a crisis even as trusts are declaring critical incidents uh, across the NHS in England, Wales and in Scotland. Um, Obviously, Sunak only has direct um, responsibility for for NHS England. But I I think that's going to be really difficult because it's going to make ministers look as though they're in denial about what's going on. And that's really not somewhere the Tories want to end up, is as though they're sort of living in this la-la land where the the state of the sort of public sector where everyday life for people 
just seems so very different to, to what politicians are talking about in their speeches. No, I, I think Isabel's right about the tone um, as well, which is, I think, Rishi Sunak tried to be quite upbeat, talk about things about innovation and, you know, a better tomorrow, etc. Um, I just wonder with that, with the talk about what's going on with the NHS, you know, he talked about elective surgery rather than A&E, for instance, if that's going to come across as you know, optimistic or tineered. So um, I think that might be something that might be revisited in the coming months. And on Isabel's point of freeing the pharmacies, um, allowing them to prescribe, that was something that written about by the Spectator's own Lucy Dunn before Christmas, of course. And let's move on now to Channel 4. It emerged um, today that Michelle Donlan, the coach secretary, advised against the privatisation of the channel in a letter to Rishi Sunak. Nadine Dorries, the former coach secretary, has now come out and said that progressive policies were being washed down the drain. James, what do you make of this row and does it say something a bit wider about the state of the Tory party at the moment? I think it shows what Isabel was saying, that we're already thinking about the next election. This is about getting the barnacles off the boat. I think that polling suggests that Channel 4 privatisation sell-off was one of the, the less attractive electorally policies in the 2019 manifesto. People prefer things, unsurprising, like new hospitals rather than focusing time and energy on this. Uh, obviously, a certain section of the Tory party would be quite miffed but I think that most Tories were somewhat indifferent either way they don't they don't particularly like Channel 4 news and they do a bit of weight bashing now and then but the simple fact is that Channel 4 isn't really a huge player in the British broadcasting market compared to the BBC so I'm not too surprised and I think it would be it's worth pointing out of course though that um, you know Nadine Doris has been a bit of a lightning rod for this and everyone talks about her and you know we've uh, we've covered a bit from her angle and her disappointment at this but of course it was Oliver Dowden who brought it in as culture secretary proposed this so I think it's always interesting to think who gets the blame for policies rather than um, who actually proposed them. Isabel, do you think this is perhaps a case of Boris's bunch trying to stir some trouble? Um, Paul Goodman, the editor of Conservative Homers in The Times earlier this week, saying that the Johnson comeback was plausible. Matthew Paris saying today that he could be looking to take a seat in Derbyshire Dales. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely loved Matthew Paris's uh, pledge to, uh, to personally fight uh, against this happening. Uh, I quite like the idea of Matthew involving his llamas in this campaign in some way and uh, the population uh, of this constituency having to decide who has the more dramatic hair out of the two. Um, Look, I I mean, I've said this on the podcast before, I I don't think in Boris Johnson's lifetime the question of whether Boris Johnson wants to be Prime Minister is ever going to stop being asked. And I think if it did, he would spontaneously combust. And so he will always find ways to stoke up that speculation, even when he's, you know, in his late 80s and hobbling around a nursing home, he will still be uh, trying to drop hints that he might uh, might fancy a comeback as Prime Minister. I, I think Boris is currently enjoying a pretty lucrative uh, speaking circuit. Um, and I think we're probably got getting through that party gate um, privileges committee investigation first, about whether he logged up for the Commons before he could focus on uh, uh, the next election. But I think as... Isabel says he's always got an eye on the main chance. So we await to see if 2023 will be the year of Boris Johnson, as some of his allies are predicting. Thank you, James. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you very much for listening.